Welcome to this week's episode of Freedom Through Self-Care. I'm your host, Jen Arnimo, founder of Mind Body Whole Wellness. This week's episode, I am excited, as usual, to talk about um, getting into motor learning, how that sensory motor loop works, how we move our bodies, how we respond to uh, the external stimulus that is around us, and then in regards to the somatic education piece, talking about another reflex pattern. So we've discussed green light, red light, and the dark vice or senile posture. This week's uh, reflex pattern is the trauma pattern, and I will get into that near the end of today's podcast. So thank you so much for joining me. I um, super grateful for the feedback I'm getting for people who are resonating or taking away um, aspects of these podcasts. It's really great practice for me in my teaching. Uh, it's really great um, practice to become articulate, being able to explain these principles and educate the general public on what somatic education is, on what soma yoga is, and the benefits of yoga therapy and really breaking down some of the stereotypes that we have in this Western culture around what yoga is. Um, and just bringing back to our culture this sense of self-responsibility, um, that self-care is um, self-care, self-awareness, mindfulness. All these ideas are necessary if we want to affect change in our world. The only thing that we have the ability to affect change with is ourselves, and that extends both to our physical bodies, to our mental bodies, how we treat ourselves, how we talk to ourselves. In effect, how we are able to connect with ourselves is the sole basis of our ability of how we can relate to others. So all of these different levels of thought of consideration are bringing more freedom into all aspects of our lives. And that is my intention, my hope, uh, to share tools that will help bring you more freedom, more happiness, more peace, more joy into your day-to-day -day life. And so this, the last few weeks we've been focusing on the physical body, the physical reflexes, how pain works in the body. But just know that when we dig into this aspect of our physical bodies, we are creating freedom on so, mother, so many other layers. There are uh, many ways to get in and do this work. Um, if you are a talker and you like, or you like journaling or you like writing, you can come in finding more freedom through those mental, more subtle channels. Or if you are experiencing pain in your physical body, and that is something that you can't get beyond, being in long-term chronic pain has a way of shutting down our ability to connect to those other layers. So then physical layer is a great way to get in and start creating more freedom. So wherever you are at on your journey, you are welcome. I'm happy to have you here, to have your time. It is an honor to be able to share the tools that I've learned with you in this way. So let's get into today's topic motor learning and how it relates to chronic pain. So motor learning is a fundamental part of our problem with chronic pain. It is our learned motor patterns that we do, the way we carry ourselves, our postures, our repetitive behaviors from our day-to-day -day activity, 
when those uh, patterns or reflexes are unnatural, maladaptive, um, they're not working for us, they're not healthy in our bodies, they are the primary cause of chronic musculoskeletal pain and physical generation. So when we are going unconscious, when we are unaware that we are carrying our bodies in this constant state of contraction, because of the ways that our brain works, and as organisms we are designed to use the least amount of energy, we are efficient beings, we are incredible um, anim animals, and all, all living, moving beings have this um, innate ability to become more and more efficient, to conserve energy, to, um, to save that energy for doing things that advance us as an organism, to find food, to find shelter, to find a mate. Uh, all these really basic level um, concepts. And so in that brain's um, search or seeking for efficiency, we go unconscious in how we're moving our bodies. And movement, the ability to move freely, uh, is really the essence of life. If we cannot move freely, uh, the, the more and more we get restricted in our ability to physically move and express ourselves, the, the more the other more subtle layers of us get shut down and our life becomes smaller. So we want to dispel this myth of aging that we just get slower, slower and smaller and shrink and um, have less mobility. Uh, if we use it, if we continue to stay connected to ourselves, to this internal landscape, this internal view that only we have, we can maintain that freedom for the duration of our lifetimes, where there is no need to have this loss and this degeneration. Um, the quality of our aging is a choice. So let that be the hopeful statement of today's podcast. So getting into the sensory motor loop, how are we perceiving, um, sensing and reacting to the things that are coming into our, into our space? And I talked about the central nervous system and we have um, all the peripheral nerves that are coming up from the spinal cord, going to all of our extremities, fingertips, all to our organs, to our internal functions, the heart and lungs. And we have this sensory system, our hearing, our, our sight, our sense of taste, our sense of balance, the ability to touch. Um, all of these different systems are uh, taking in sensory feedback from our environment. So with our sight, we have depth perception. We can detect movement, a shape, color. Um, our eyes are tied to our sleep cycle and our ability to process our day-to-day -day activities while we sleep. Our vestibular system in our inner ear, that sense of balance, how we relate to gravity. Um, as somatic beings, as somas, we are all auto-correcting. We all self-sense and we want to look towards the sun. Same thing as a plant growing or a flower opening, it orients itself in space to the sun, to the horizon. And we as human beings, and all animals, all living, moving beings, um, even trees, um, are all self-sensing, self-guiding, and have this ability for movement that enables us to live. Um, our proprioceptive senses, 
um, not just the touch of the skin, but also in the muscles and the joints. We have sensors that are detecting muscle length, the angle of our joints, uh, the movement of our joints, as well as, as well as the touch. And we also have temperature sensors in our skin at those ends of the nerve ending. So all of this sensory information from our external environment is being relayed through the central nervous system, through the peripheral nerves, up through the spinal column, into the brain, into that limbic system where it's detecting threat, it's processing information. Um, and then our, so as far as our motor patterns, how we move our bodies, our muscles, our voluntary muscle movements um, are happening in the cerebral cortex, in the learning center of our brain. Uh, it's where we learn how to drive, we learn how to jump rope or skate or ski or whatever it is our activity is. When we're learning those activities, um, this control center of conscious control, voluntary movement is happening in the learning center, in the cerebral cortex. And now the part about us being incredibly efficient uh, amazing beings capable of evolving and growing and learning as we repeat these activities that we're learning driving for example um, you're really focused and you're looking you're doing your shoulder checks you know you're not trying to do anything else you're not on the phone you're not even listening to the radio when you're learning because you're trying you're taking in so much sensory stimulus from your mirrors, from the road, from other drivers, you're really paying attention and it takes a lot of focused effort to learn to drive. There's so much stimulus coming at you. But over the years, as these actions become um, comfortable and well accustomed to that cerebral cortex, the brain in its efficiency sends those repeated learned motor patterns to our subcortex where they become automatic and reflexive and subconscious, where we don't have to expend as much energy anymore to think about them. And what a great thing that is, because if we had to constantly, consciously think about all the things we do on a day-to-day -day, day -day basis, things like remembering to breathe in and out, remembering to eat, uh, remembering to move each limb independently so that you can walk in a normal pattern and not succumb to the forces of gravity, we would be wasting huge amounts of energy um, just being, never mind trying um, to evolve and grow or read or learn a new activity. So our brains are really amazing, amazing systems. So the reflexes, all this stuff that is happening being sent down to the subcortex, um, the reflexes themselves, as far as green light, red light, trauma response, um, they serve a critical evolutionary purpose. So a reflex, when it is um, been sent down to the subcortex, uh, a reflex itself, say for example you put your hand over a flame, you don't have to consciously think, oh that's hot, I need to pull my hand away. That is a reflexive behavior that is being triggered by the temperature sensors in the skin um, and it doesn't have to actually, that signal doesn't have to travel all the way up to the brain. All it is is going uh, to the spinal column and then it's receiving a signal back to pull the hand away from the heat based strictly on those temperature sensors. So that's an efficient use of energy. It doesn't, that signal has less distance to travel. We can react faster to it. So these reflexes, which are really survival mechanisms, when we think of green light uh, propelling us forward into action or into fight response, 
um, red light, which is the withdrawal response, protective response, um, bringing us into flight, drawing us away from the threat. These are all reflexes that have been, um, that don't have to go all the way up to the brain. They are survival mechanisms of the organism to protect itself. It's a survival response. So as far as evolving, these shorter response times allow us um, to keep ourselves safe, to survive. So it's an instantaneous response to a potentially harmful stimulus through the rapid transmission of those myelinated nerves that I talked about when, I, when we did the talk on the nervous system. So they're insulated. So if you're an electrician thinking about those insulated wires, they are going to receive, send and receive signals faster than a wire that is not insulated and has more chance of lo losing its signal uh, dissipating into the area around it. So this repeated um, reflex creates muscle memory. And if you're an athlete and if you've ever trained um, for any kind of activity, you know that repeated um, action in the same manner over and over again creates that muscle memory. If you're a correctional officer, this is the, the whole foundation for why we do defensive tactics training. Um, we want to repeat those behaviors in training over and over and over again, sometimes mind-numbingly so, so that when under stress, when under pressure, when under that threat response or survival response, the brain doesn't have to consciously think, that's how I avoid, that's how I defend myself, that's how I do um, you know, a move to get out of harm's way. It is automatically embedded in the subcortex from years and years of repetitive training so that it is an automatic response in the body. The problem happens with this wonderful system of muscle memory and brain efficiency is when we're holding the body in these reflex patterns or these fight or flight responses and we don't we haven't realized that the threat is over. So it has become so subconscious that our bodies hold that contraction all the time to some degree. And the varying degrees of percentage of that contraction is going to is what is contributing to that chronic pain. So when those muscles are held tight for years, decades, because of those repeated uh, reflex patterns, all the muscles are creating um, lactic acid, they're burning energy, and that can't get flushed out of the system fast enough for the muscles to come back to release for the lactic acid to be flushed out and all of the exhaust of muscle contraction gets held on the nerve endings and we perceive that as pain. And this process of motor learning is gradual. So the more times we repeat a movement or the more times we experience a reflex, the more deeply it is learned and the more automatic and less conscious it becomes. So we think of um, visualization. Uh, when we're practicing or training for that activity, uh, simply imagining a movement, the scenario, um, can cause the brain to function in the same way. So when we're experiencing threat responses that might only be visual or auditory, like if you're listening to the news, the brain will generate those same reflex patterns in the physical body. When we are under stress, 
So when we are experiencing the stressors or the inciting factors of these responses, the nervous system will always auto-choose to act in the fastest way using the least amount of energy. So that's why when we've trained in those act in those um, activities over and over again, that when we're put under pressure or the race is there or the um, if you're in corrections and the, the fight is on and you have to go in and respond, that nervous system automatically switches um, to the reflex patterns, to the repetitive, deeply ingrained muscle memory, um, the motor learning responses that we've done over time so that it can use its energy in the body most efficiently. So that is what we're looking at for why this motor learning pattern contributes to chronic pain. Uh, for most of us, we start realizing this at about midlife where the body starts to um, vocalize, make you a little bit more aware of, of aches and pains, um, muscles that are being held tight uh, all the time. We wake up sore, rest isn't helping. Um, and so we start looking for ways to deal with this pain, this discomfort. And I want to talk about a little bit about the difference between some of the traditional options that we look at uh, and then yoga therapy or somatic education, um, soma yoga, and what the differences are between these two different approaches to chronic pain. And these, I'm going to talk about stretching, massage, chiropractic, physiotherapy, um, medication, surgery, um, and then versus the self-responsibility piece. So all of these traditional treatments are we're seeking outside of ourselves. We are going to someone, we're seeking out a practitioner to help us, um, to help get rid of the pain. So stretching is the first one. And I really want to dispel this myth that yoga is stretching. Yoga, even if we're just looking at it as a physical practice, which is it is far beyond just a physical practice. And I will get into that as we transition through the upcoming weeks and get out of this physical body and chronic pain topic so much and kind of get into uh, my favorite parts of yoga is the more subtle layers, finding freedom in the more subtle layers of the body. Once we can clear out the physical pain, you know, and find peace in our bodies, find joy in the movement of bodies, then we have this freedom to really go a little bit deeper. And we'll get into that in upcoming weeks. So dispelling this myth that yoga is stretching. Maybe in some classes yoga is stretching, but from a somatic education perspective, uh, I am not an advocate of stretching. And I will tell you why. Stretching usually doesn't accomplish very much as far as relieving our muscles from pain. Um, and it's mainly due to a reflex called the myotatic reflex, or more commonly called the stretch reflex. I'll give you a little blurb on that, what the stretch reflex is. So when a muscle is stretched, there's little sensors that are wrapped around the muscle, the individual spindles, like I talked about, it, they're sending and receiving data to the brain about how long the muscle is being held, the tension in the muscle, how much weight is being lifted, and um, can that muscle actually perform that duty safely. Um, so these little uh, sensors are sensing the increased length, sending the information um, up to the brain, 
And then um, the muscle is getting the signal back to contract in order to protect the muscle from being torn. So these messages are going back and forth from the spine uh, among those most heavily insulated nerves, those myelinated nerves. So their messages are traveling faster and are more important to our survival than the sensations of pain, temperature, and touch are. So the muscle sensors are relaying that information whether that's a safe movement or not. So when we are putting our bodies or putting those muscles into a place, stretching them beyond their capacity, when you think of an elastic band, this stretch reflex is supposed to protect us from tearing our muscles, tendons, and ligaments. So when the load has exceeded um, the ability of the muscle, then we start looking into damage to tendons and ligaments. So those sensors in the muscles are meant to protect the system as a whole. And so when, when you practice static stretching or forcing the muscle um, out of its tightness, this is the typical type of stretching we're taught in athletic training, the conscious and the subconscious parts of your nervous system are battling against each other. And they're, they're trying to do different things. They're trying to get opposite results. The conscious part of your brain is sending the message to manually stretch your muscles by pulling on them. So you're, you're doing it to yourself. But despite all your efforts, those sensors in the muscles are going, I can't, I can't do that. I can't go that long. I'm not ready. I'm holding this unconscious tension that you put there by all this repetitive movement which has made it tight in the first place I don't want to let it go. I don't want to cause injury to this muscle. I don't want the tendons and ligaments. So although your conscious voluntary brain is telling you to stretch the muscle, the unconscious protective part of that muscle is protecting itself and is saying, no, I don't want to, to get, I don't want to get injured. And so when you stop stretching, the muscle is actually going to get tighter in hopes of protecting itself that much more. So it is, if it's our stretch reflex preventing us from manually lengthening the muscles, why does stretching sometimes make us more feel more flexible? When we start to find this, there are a few reasons. So you might actually begin to stretch your ligaments. And ligaments um, are like that, uh, ligaments are more like that, um, more plasticky, they have less ability to rebound the way muscles and tendons do. So with prolonged stretching, those ligaments can actually be stretched. So you might end up being a little bit more flexible, but it often um, translates into less stability in the joints. Um, so once stretched, ligaments have a less likelihood of ever regaining their original length and strength. So I really like to discourage this, the use of um, active, forcible, manual stretching of the muscles. It is counterintuitive, it is counterproductive to finding more freedom um, and more mobility in the body, in the muscle system. Second option people seek out is massage. Um, I myself love a good massage. It meets a lot of needs of, um, of the human body. We, um, like, we enjoy the sense of touch. Uh, it feels good in the body. It helps cue our nervous system to relax. 
it stimulates the circulatory system, it moves lymph in the body, which the lymph uh, fluid in the body doesn't have, it's not its own pump like the heart does for the circulatory system. Um, so the effects of massage are really great for improving blood flow, uh, elimination of wastes in the body, and it feels good. The problem is that with a deep tissue massage or really um, hard pressure, that we can trigger the same stretch reflex response that uh, manual stretching does in the body. So being mindful of that and using massage as a acute treatment um, to move lymph, to cleanse the body, um, it's a great practice to incorporate essential oils to support the nervous system, to bring the body to um, create space for time, um, for connection inward, to do some self-sensing, uh, great space for meditation. It's really, really supporting that parasympathetic nervous system, giving the body time to relax, digest, and heal. So it's wonderful for that. But just being mindful about the degree of pressure you are asking for in a massage so that you're not putting those muscles, not pushing them, stretching them beyond where they are ready to go consciously. And then getting into chiropractic care. Again, so now chiropractic is structural. We're, we're talking about the skeletal system, the bones, where um, massage would be working with the muscular system. Somatic education is working with the muscular system. So chiropractic is great for fixing, um, for structural alignment of the vertebrae, of the spine. The issue is that what is generally causing the misalignment in the spine is shackled down tight muscles. So for, again, for acute treatment to get some relief from the spinal alignment, if you're having issues with those vertebrae, the spine being in alignment to the point where they are affecting nerves, causing pain, then chiropractic is going to be a great resolution for acute care of that misalignment. However, it is a temporary fix for when your muscles, when you are unconscious to those motor patterns, to those reflexes, to those to that chronic muscle tension that's being held in the body, once you leave treatment, the muscles are going to return to those repetitive behaviors. The reflexes are, are still engaged. Those muscles will still get tight and they will cause the structural system to come back into a misalignment again. Fourth point, physical therapy. And physical therapy is addressing range of motion, strength, mobility in in the motor patterns, in the ability to move the body. And when we're talking about building strength in a muscle, we're, we're, we want to bring it back to functionality after injury. There's usually some atrophy. The muscle hasn't been used. It's been held um, in protection while it was healing. So we want to bring, um, we want to bring movement and activity back to that muscle. The issue with when there's been an injury and the body is holding itself in these patterns while it heals. The same reason we use a crutch on one side when we've injured the uh, when we've injured that side is to take the weight to take the pressure off of that area while it heals. So just like a crutch, all the other muscles on the other side of the body are compensating for um, the inability for that side or that limb to use 
um, itself at during that healing time. So we create all of these other contractions and holding patterns around that injury site while it heals. The problem is that after it's healed, we just focus on regaining strength of, of that unused muscle. An important piece that we're missing in PT is re-educating the areas that we're compensating first. So we need to release those holding patterns, those compensating muscle contractions that were used to hold the injured part safe and then start to bring, bring strength and mobility and range of motion back to the injured part. Because if we're just building strength on top of tension that already exists, we're not serving ourselves. The muscle is not going to get stronger. We're going to create more compensation patterns in the body. So we really need to reconnect with those, with those muscles that we're compensating, release the muscle tension, release those holding patterns, and then start to build freedom and mobility, um, returning to whatever area was injured. Medication and surgery are the final two. Medication, of course, is um, a great acute treatment. If I've been in a car accident and I've had something cut or injured or broken, yes, by all means, I want some medication so that I am not feeling that acute pain while I am getting care for um, traumatic injury. Same thing with surgery. If my arm breaks, absolutely, Western medicine, get me to the ER. I want somebody to fix my broken bone. But when we're using medication and surgery in chronic pain cases where the sole uh, purpose of that surgery or medication is to get rid of the pain, we're looking at a temporary fix because when we're not looking for what is the root cause of that pain, the pain is going to keep coming back. If we don't address the root cause the pain will always continue. And we can keep drugging it out, medicating it out, numbing it out, um, or trying to correct it with surgery. But if we're not addressing the root cause, the pain is still going to remain. Those tight muscles are still there causing the pain in the, in the, in the case that it, it is in that musculo, uh, muscular system. So all these options, great for acute treatment or used in combination combination, sorry, with a constant re-education of that sensory motor loop, bringing awareness to what patterns are we holding in our body, what are the activities that are contributing to those holding patterns, and how can we bring those um, automatic, reflexive, subconscious motor patterns back up to the front of the brain, to the learning center, re-educate, remind the brain, remind the muscles that they have all this free range of movement and that they don't need to be held in, that, in those tension patterns anymore. So, were all these traditional uh, treatments great for acute treatment? When we're looking at um, the differences between these traditional treatments, and yoga therapy, soma yoga, somatic education, there's a mind shift. And it goes from 
looking outside ourselves, looking to seek someone to help us when we are in acute need, immediate need of help. Whereas the whole idea of yoga is be is self-responsibility. How can I be a resource for myself? How can I release my muscle tension? How can I go within that internal landscape and bring myself back to center, bring myself back to neutral, relieve the muscle tension? So yoga is self-sensing. It's self-responsibility. It's you being your own healer. It's looking for the root cause. It's creating space to find what that is and learn the tools uh, from a guide or a teacher. Learn those tools to auto-correct yourself. So when you're proactive and you have the ability to self-sense and, and auto-correct, then it is a daily proactive way um, of, of coming to your own wellness. So traditional treatments are wonderful for acute care or if you don't want to be self-responsible, if you really don't want to dig into your stuff, you don't want to be the one to help yourself out of the stuff that you find yourself in, then yeah, absolutely. You can see, always seek outside yourself. But I want to ensure, or to ensure, not to ensure, I want to assure you that freedom is found within. It's an internal journey. It's an internal path. And when we have the tools to autocorrect and to help ourselves, we can maintain this freedom on a day-to-day -day basis versus waiting until we feel pain, waiting until we are unwell, till we have experienced dis-ease in our body um, to seek someone to fix us. So there's two different approaches there and two different um, reasons why you might seek either treatment, whether it's acute or chronic and whether it's self-sensing, self-responsible, or you, you want somebody to fix you. So just tuning into yourself, knowing where you're at and knowing which of those paths that you want to take and knowing that it is a choice. Everything comes down to choice. So I want to tie back to the trauma pattern. So the sensory motor loop, this motor learning pattern of how our bodies um, take in sensory intake, process it, the voluntary system, how we move our bodies, um, and then we experience this injury. So we've experienced an injury and our body has this, like just like I talked, it's, it locks down, it starts to compensate, it um, has this trauma reflex to protect the site of the injury. Um, this is also linked, uh, this trauma pattern is also linked to handedness, so whether you're left or right-handed, um, and there's a tie to scoliosis as well. So where scoliosis being historically diagnosed for a lot of people when they're younger, um, a lot of prof um, practitioners will attribute it to being genetic disposition, or uh, saying that the gravity grows too rapidly on one side, all which seem very curious diagnosis to me. Um, from Thomas Hanna's perspective, scoliosis simply means that the, a physical trauma has occurred in that area of the body. And so between scoliosis, so physical trauma or injury, or handedness. So handedness being 
when we think of an issue like sciatica, for example, I would say in about 90% of the people I encounter, it is in their right side. It travels through the right glute, sometimes radiating down the right leg. What is curious is that about 90% of the population is right-handed. And when I think of teaching defensive tactics, when I think of fighting stance or defensive stance and how we hold our bodies, how we weight our bodies through the pelvis, most people are standing with more weight on their right leg. So when you think of this, standing weighted more so on one side for 40 years of your life, of course you're going to have more muscle tension on the right side of the body. So where does that sciatic pain show up? In the right glute. So bringing awareness to how we're holding our bodies, how we're using our bodies, our handedness, what side of the body has experienced trauma or injury. These are all little sticky post-it notes, uh, little red flags over our bodies. When we start to bring awareness to uh, these places, we can start to link the reasons why we're experiencing pain. What are the activities? What are the day-to-day um, routine movements that we're doing that are putting our bodies into these chronic tension holding patterns. And once we have awareness to the why, to the root cause, to the movements that are causing our chronic pain, our discomfort, our muscle tension, then we can use appropriate tools. We can use the somatic re-education movements to start bringing freedom to those muscles. So getting into what are some of the somatic education tools? What are they? So some of the principles, first we talked about it already. Um, these, this chronic musculoskeletal pain, our, our dysfunctional posture, our uh, movement patterns that aren't serving us, are most often caused by learned motor patterns. Ways we're habitually using our bodies. Um, so to get out of this, it needs to be an active movement on the part of you. This is not you seeking somebody to fix you. This is you learning to create lasting change in your motor pattern. So it's you moving your body in a way that is going to re-educate that sensory motor loop and release your own muscle tension. So we're addressing that underlying cause of the problem instead of just trying to treat the pain that is the result. So when you're coming to a yoga class, or you're coming to a therapy session, I will work with you rather than on you. So this is that self-responsibility piece. You are coming um, with the intention of learning movements to to teach yourself freedom so that you can bring yourself constantly back uh, to a place of, um, of freedom in those muscles, of release in those muscles. So you are going to learn to become self-sufficient, self-responsible. Are you going to do the home practices every day? Are you going to come to a class uh, when you need a refresher on the movements? Uh, instead of being dependent on something outside of yourself, instead of being dependent on medication or de dependent on getting a massage or whatever, having somebody else work on you. These are tools that you're going to learn to become self-responsible, to become self-sufficient. 
And these tools, of course, are learned in a setting where you can create space to connect and go inward, to move your body in the movements with the conscious control, con conscious contraction and release of these muscles, uh, relieving yourself from these, from these motor patterns. So I just want to finish off today with um, a quote from Thomas Hanna. As we learn more and more about the ways in which the brain functions control, maintain, repair, protect our bodies, we become more and more to respect this marvelous capacity that we have. We are far less dependent and helpless than we believe ourselves to be which is to say that we are far more responsible and self-governing than we know. Thomas Hanna firmly believed that as we grow older, our bodies and our lives should continue to improve, right up to the very end. He believed that all of us, in our hearts, feel and know that this is how life really should be lived. So that being said, it is a choice. Freedom is a choice. Freedom in your muscular body, freedom in your emotional body is a choice. Will you take on the responsibility to learn the tools to help yourself? That is the entire goal behind this podcast is to share tools, experiences that bring freedom the physical realm, mental realm, emotional realm, spiritual realm. Freedom through self-care. Can you prioritize yourself? Can you prioritize time to go inward, to start exploring your internal landscape, to start learning about yourself, to care for yourself, to find ways to support, to recharge, to know what brings you joy, to know what gives you purpose and meaning in your life? And can you create space for that? Can you create intention and time and priority for that space for yourself? So I encourage you to do so because that internal connection is the path to freedom in mind and body. I hope you have a wonderful day wherever you are, whatever you're doing. And if you have any questions, Never hesitate to reach out. You can email me at mindbodywholewellness at hotmail.com. Take a peek on the website, mindbodywholewellness.com. Find me on Facebook or Instagram. I always love hearing your feedback. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. It is an honor to be in community with you in this way. Take care.